Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Don Ho and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, host Chris Crane is back in the booth for a new episode with guests Matthew Walter and Stephen Below of Hedgerow Analysis, a data analytics company delivering qualitative and quantitative analysis to cannabis companies to identify and mitigate risk while optimizing potential. In this episode, Chris connects with Matt and Steve to learn about their new technology stack, Dispensary Defender, how they're helping companies maximize profits, and their thoughts on pending legislation at the federal level. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Matthew Walter and Stephen Below of Hedgerow Analysis. All right, well, Matt and Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. All right. So full disclosure to everyone, I, I am, uh, I'm very excited about this. Um, I think this is an awesome uh, product and an awesome platform. And in disclosure, I am a member of the Hedgerow Advisory Board. Um, uh, just to put that out there for our listeners, right? Full disclosure. Um, but it's an awesome company. And uh, we're really excited to dive into Hedgerow and learn more about how your business is powering decision making in the cannabis space. Uh, but before we get to that, let's let's take it back a little bit. Um, can you guys start by just introducing yourselves to our audience and telling us more about you know, your path to getting into the cannabis space? Sure, absolutely. Um, this is Matt Walter. Uh, I'm the co-founder, along with Steve Below of Hedro Analysis, and I'm functioning in the CEO role now. Um, we've been active for about two years, and my path... Uh, to the cannabis industry comes via the political and governmental side. Uh, I've spent my career uh, involved in state and local government and politics for the previous 25 years. Uh, started out in New York State, uh, moved to uh, DC uh, to run state level committees active across all 50 states. Raised and spent over $200 million in that regard and had uh, record success in that space. Uh, and as we were going through the, the 2010s, uh, and there was so much activity and so much progress um, within the cannabis industry, most notably the ballot initiatives that moved to RAC in Washington and Colorado, and we were watching those, obviously, from the political standpoint. Um, but to see the industry grow and develop, uh, it was just a, an unbelievable opportunity that we all have now. Um, to get involved in different industries um, that are going to do amazing things economically, personally, medically, across the board. And, and nothing really epitomizes that uh, as effectively as, as cannabis. And so it was a, it was a logical, uh, obvious choice for me uh, when I ended my time in, in government and politics um, to spend some of it helping to smooth this transition to legality, to try and make it less friction uh, in that process of, of bringing a product to market that has been uh, utilized, appreciated, and, and beloved by, by many consumers um, since time immemorial. Uh, and so how effectively and how well uh, government uh, handles this transition will be a great indicator and a best ten tense test run uh, for some of the major transitions that are going to be coming up that are, that are facing Americans and, and the whole world. Uh, as major changes unfurl. Uh, and so it's a super dynamic and exciting place um, to, um, 
uh, bring a product to market that's profitable <laughs> uh, and one that brings value um, to individuals all across the country. Uh, so that, that's how I got into it and have been thrilled to meet people from so many disparate backgrounds uh, and, and such interesting folks that bring so much to, to the table. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, what about, what about you? What's your, uh, what's your story here? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Steve Below. As Matt said, I'm a co-founder of Hedgerow. Uh, uh, likewise, I always have learned that everyone in the cannabis industry comes from somewhere else. And I really enjoy hearing people's stories about their former lives. Uh, my former life, uh, my background is in environmental science. So I've always had a passion for the environment. Uh, my first professional accomplishment in that area was starting an environmental blog. Uh, this is way back in the days of Internet Your, pre-social media, where four of us turned our little website into a successful platform that reached over 4 million unique visitors in a short period of time. And that spurred me to go back to college, figuring I should really know what I'm talking about if that many people are listening to me. Uh, ended up getting a master's and PhD in environmental science, and I focused on energy, agriculture, and urban areas. And for me, the messier the topic, the better. Um, my expertise is in simulation modeling and thinking of things from like a systems, broad systems perspective. Um, the models I built help help understand and predict the behavior of complex systems. So between energy and the environment, the economy and human behavior. And I researched a whole bunch of areas and, and topics um, from energy transition to agriculture, evolutions of cities and the impact of climate change. So when Matt approached me with this concept for Hedro, I was like immediately intrigued. And because trying to help people understand and make better decisions about poorly em understood emerging systems with diverse regulating schemes was like right in my wheelhouse. And, you know, cannabis certainly fit this bill. And, you know, we saw tens of millions of dollars being invested in new states as they came online and a multitude of state and local policies being written based on sometimes fairly unsophisticated predictions of future revenue. And, and we could see the importance of having robust local data as the old model of limited licensing opened up to additional dispensaries and, and increased competition. Uh, we spent the first year assembling our team. Uh, Amy Piscopo has been a great addition. She's our lead data scientist and engineer. We gathered data, built our first statistical models, looking at the important factors behind cannabis demand. And we've rounded out that uh, quantitative side with the qualitative side by tapping into Matt's political connections, industry experts, and all facets of the cannabis industry. And it's been very rewarding to apply my skills and knowledge gained over the past uh, time in academia, including three years where I taught graduate and undergraduate courses, worked four years at EPA Research and Development, and applying those skills to an industry that I have uh, deep personal connections to. Excellent. Well, then let's, I mean, I appreciate all that. And let's, let's get right into it. And you guys were starting to talk a bit about, about Hedgerow and the platform and, and what you guys do. So um, walk us through this. What, what is, what is Hedgerow analysis? What do you guys do? Um, and how are you guys helping companies navigate these complex, complex regulations in the industry? Absolutely. So uh, what we uh, endeavor to do is make uh, easier decisions and more profitable decisions uh, uh, at the uh, at the cusp of our our clients' uh, fingertips, um, by pre presenting the data and information relevant to them into their decision making process, and 
Um, so as, as I referenced and sort of my interest in the industry as it was burgeoning on the, on the legal side and, and certainly appreciate the decades of work that others put in to get it to that point. And so where we wanted to take it from there was to um, bring some refinement to some of the numbers that were there, some of the estimates were there for what is the total market demand. It's obviously a very shy customer base, <laughs> one that for good historical reasons don't advertise their consumption patterns and decisions. So it makes it ba- difficult to do some of the basic elements of, of business in terms of identifying what your total addressable market is, um, where that demand is, how you can tap into that demand. And so that's sort of where we started with this this process, um, was to uh, bring that sophistication and that rigor so that people could make better decisions about where they're citing their stores, um, location, location, location uh, in, in retail, um, and making sure that people were making smart decisions um, based on facts. Um, as we've done premium consulting in this space, as well as the energy transition space, that's another area um, Hedro is very much focused to sort of quantifying um, what folks' energy transition goals are. Our hope is that in emerging industries that are heavily regulated, that we can put information and data in front of folks to make smart decisions and drive good conversations, which is kind of the opposite of of where American politics is right now. It's who can scream more loudly and more passionately about the hill that they're going to die on. And so there is sort of a, a, you know, a a meta offering here, but at the heart of it, and and you can see more of it at hedgeroanalysis.com, it's all about taking the emotion out of it, taking the guesswork out of it, and improving your odds of profitability um, by putting that information in front of folks. And what we're going to have launched by the time that this comes live um, is our first tech stack um, to remove the menial uh, day-to-day tasks and, and automate them primarily around uh, site selection and um, merger and acquisition valuations, um, but as well as defending your location, monitoring your competition and so forth, so that you're saving people time, you're saving them money immediately, um, and you're helping them make decisions ahead of their competition to get the best location to maximize those profits and valuation for your company over the long term. Excellent. So let's let's dig a little deeper. Um, you're about to launch. So you, you talked about you know, this product about to launch. Uh, I believe you're talking here about the dispensary Dis- defender app. Um, so tell us more about it. I mean, let's 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 get granular here. Like, how does that model serve businesses in the cannabis space? Yeah. Well, we love getting into the granular. <laughs> so this is, a, this is an, an exciting point for us. Yes, the product is Dispensary Defender. Again, you can see more about that on uh, hedroanalysis.com slash DD. Um, and what we've done um, is uh, taken all the steps that what a company would be required to do uh, to make a good decision about where they want to site the next store or acquire the next store. Um, from the sometimes dozens of websites and tens of millions of pieces of data, local compliance, competition, uh, demand models, actual sales information, uh, and put that on a, um, a GIS architecture for a company called Esri. It's the world leader in GIS technology. Um, and so, so that, for, 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 the, for those of us less technically inclined, what, is, what, what do you mean by GIS technology? You know, I'm going to let Steve answer that because he is the GIS expert, <laughs> uh, of, expert of experts. So you get right into the weeds on that one. They want to get granular, but also want to make sure people understand what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it, uh, GIS stands for 
geographic information system. So it's a mapping tool based on different layers of information laid on top of each other uh, to both visualize data. Uh, you can run a spatial analysis, looking at different networks or relationships between areas. Uh, so uh, that GIS platform that we use through Esri allows us to uh, come up with new uh, ways to visualize data and and synthesize all that information that's going to decision making. And people seem to get it more quickly, right? I mean, who hasn't used Google Maps or weather apps or Zillow to find the information they need? And so what we wanted to do is uh, provide operators pursuing new retail locations or uh, investors looking at M&A, uh, um, a platform like Weed Maps did for customers looking for nearby retailers. So putting that information at their fingertips, allowing them to screen the locations that they're that are under consideration for uh, setbacks in sensitive areas, um, look at demographics, income, consumer spending, uh, entertainment spending, uh, alcoholic beverages, et cetera, putting that information at their fingertips and then allowing them to examine the impact of competition in the area. So many people have models that um, uh, sophisticated operators have models that uh, allow them to predict uh, sales in a particular location. And uh, that's usually based on population and some other demographic info. And what we do is you know, much more sophisticated than that, but we also bring to the table the impact of that local competition. So looking at different driving sheds and 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 how uh, how close um, dispensaries are to their uh, competitors uh, is very important in that process. And so any user that knows how to use Google Maps or Zillow or anything of that nature can look at it and it's obvious, <laughs> the best location to put your store based on um, the heat maps and all the information that they opt out to, that's on there. And so if you decide that that market segment, which you can look at the, all the demographic information on the individuals are there, is the right one for you, and it's going to drive the kind of revenue and profits that you want, you don't have to take yet another step in pulling all this information out, creating charts and graphs, creating your PowerPoint for the C-suite or the investors. You push a button. And it spits out beautifully displayed, easy to understand, intuitive information about that location um, and why that's the, uh, the, the premier opportunity for you. And so it takes a lot of things that were manual steps that took a lot of time um, just to pull together and automates those so humans can do what humans do best, which is compare whether or not that's the right fit for their business um, and then be able to move forward aggressively and with a competitive advantage of time over your um, competition. That's terrific. So, at, at how are like how have companies been interacting with this so far? I mean, give us give us give us like a good real world success story uh, of how a company has used this platform, used your platform so far um, to to help grow the business or to help them improve efficiency or to find the right location. So um, uh, we, uh, the product will be live uh, at, the, at the point that folks are listening to it. But even before it was live, um, we had multiple users who were in the system in just the wireframe model. Um, so it wasn't as easy to move around in, but still the reaction from that um, was uh, that it, it, they love the product. 
They're in it every day and they can't do their job without it. So that's not me paraphrasing. That's an actual quote from uh, our customers to, to other folks. And so um, when you're deciding which state you would uh, like to enter um, legally, um, th those users would compare the different locations, compare the um, competition um, and um, uh, compare you know, state to state. Another, op another way that folks have used it is to decide within a state, assembling all the stores that are active and all the information on their revenue numbers, their average cart size, things of that nature, where their stores fit in. Uh, are they overperforming or underperforming in relation to that overall demand? And, and really deep diving into some custom analysis of why they were underperforming or why they were overperforming so that you can take those factors and apply them to your other stores so that uh, your, um, your company is uh, overachieving the average uh, everywhere that you possibly can and you don't have any underperforming stores. Um, Steve, a couple other examples that you've seen beyond that um, that might be good to reference at this point. Sure. I, I mean, I think the the chief use case we've heard so far and the, and the greatest value is, you know, things are constantly operating in real time. You know, the, the real estate team is sending leads on properties. Those properties need to be screened and decisions need to be made quickly. And so what our dispensary defender app allows these operators to do is quickly look, uh, screen the site for any um proximity to sensitive areas, um, look at local competition and their expected um, demand that they're capturing, and then look at the site itself and the demographics. So provides a quick screening tool. And then as they dig deeper into it to um, fill out those reports that are going up to the C-suite for the ultimate decision makers. And we see this at different levels of operators as well too. So you know, we worked with um, larger size MSOs, and in different points of the process. So from initial screenings to definitive decisions, you know, we're gonna be in this city and we're gonna open up these number of sites and we're gonna find the best X sites within that uh, region. Yeah, and, and you, you just hit on something about your your customer base, but who, who is your customer base here, right? I mean, are you are you looking for, I mean, are you, are, is this built for, for multi-state operators, MSOs, is this built for your, you know, single state mom and pop? Is it kind of everyone in between? Do you have, do you have an ideal, um, uh, sort of customer or is this something that has sort of universal application? Uh, well, it's got broad application, um, uh, for, for sure. Um, the customer base starts with, um, the operators and the licensees, um, and the folks that either have properties, uh, that they're looking to defend, uh, or are looking to expand in a different area. That, that's certainly the core of it. And, uh, interestingly enough in the, um, uh, operators that are single state operators or operators in a couple of states, um, there's a greater need for our, um, custom consulting services because they just can't keep a, you know, a team on staff full time for that type of work. Um, so it's the classic, um, utility and efficiency, uh, of, of consultants. Well, in the interim, continuing to use the app for things that, that they can do on their own. The app, uh, applies applies more to, um, to the majors who have teams of these folks that are working on this on a regular basis. Um, and it's designed to give them a tool to save them time, save them money, and help them make a better decision more quickly. But beyond that, there are our multiple um, ancillary uh, uses that we're seeing come to the fore. 
uh, as well. Um, uh, and uh, certainly within the private equity space, um, there's significant analysis about whether they would like to invest in a company or a set of companies within their portfolio and knowing um, how profitable they are, how historically effective they are at reaching in and identifying the right marketplace um, uh, participants and converting them. Um, significant opportunity on, on that front, um, as well as the consultants, lawyers, real estate interests um, that are advising different companies. It's a great tool for them to be smarter in areas that are outside their area of expertise, but they can knit very neatly into um, their offering. Um, and you've got some even further related uh, areas like the insurance industry, the, the original modeling uh, <laughs> industry uh, that looks at numbers and, and quants and, and tries to define them so that they can identify what the potential future value is, what the loss was um, of, of future potential earnings. Um, and the further you get to sort of the, the bleeding edge of the unknown, the greater the value is here and removing some of those uncertainties um, and making more well-founded assumptions. So the the core of it is going to revolve around that retail location, that delivery location, and the decisions um, to shrink, expand, or, or, or differently charge your, your marketplace. Um, but beyond those MSOs, there are a number of ancillary markets that we've um, gotten tremendous feedback uh, on the product already. Um, I, I'm going to jump in and, and give a plug for the growing single state operator or mom and pop shop that's considering opening another location. It's our goal to provide dispensary defender at, um, at an affordable price and, and selling that um, in per state and per user so that the um, sophisticated smaller operators looking to grow can use the product that's available, the same product that's available to the large MSOs. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's so many, platforms and products out there that uh that that you know aren't affordable for for everyday operators right they really only it can only only be afforded by the the big companies and the msos and that just gives them you know one more competitive advantage in the space so it's great to see that you're finding ways to make this available to um to everybody else as well um it's really really important for the you know for the for the growth and success of the you know all the mom and pop businesses out there um so uh, you know, along these lines, like what have you found that companies miss out on the most or miss on the most or that they aren't thinking about enough when trying to to grow or expand their business or, or analyze their business opportunities in front of them? Well, Steve, uh, that's probably, uh, uh, you know, a, a good spot to start and, and, and talk about um, uh, that there's that there's two different types of operators broadly within the industry that, that we've interacted with. Um, there are the sophisticated operators that understand the value of data, and then there are the folks that are sort of just guessing. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just guessing out there. And so that was the first thing that was really pretty shocking to us um, was the amount of companies that were just guessing and knew they were just guessing and, and were okay with guessing. Um, and so I, yeah, I, th I think that's um, one of the things that was, was most immediately shocking on it. Um, the second thing was how gun-shy people are in the industry having been burned by bad data and bad information. Um, you know, I think when you're in a, a, a quasi-legal market in, in any respects, um, there's going to be some... Um, uh, 
legitimate and sophisticated operators who are going to have some pause about engaging with it. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as we look at some of the federal um, constraints and opportunities from a legal standpoint. Um, But you've also got... um, um, an opportunity um, to uh, to improve that, um, to give people quality data that they can afford, um, to make sure that uh, whatever size business they are, they're they're growing and moving effectively. And then the other part um, that that I would say just at the top of it is um, uh, folks that have a sophisticated understanding, they appreciate the value of data. Um, but they just put the emphasis on the wrong thing. Um, and certainly one of the things that we see regularly is people saying, well, look, we want to go here. Look at all the traffic that's there. And then you look at it, and it's a highway. <laughs> and it doesn't have an exit <laughs> by their store. So half of your traffic, your store's not even open when they're going to work. And when they're leaving work, they don't really have anywhere to get that. So it seems like a simple thing. And a lot of these things are relatively simple. It's the sort of aggregation of all these simple points um, into more complex ones um, that, that, that directly drive um, uh, profitability at the end of the day and a competitive advantage. And Chris, I'm sure you see this too in your work that, you know, companies are building their forecasts on data available today, and they're not thinking about, you know, sort of leading the passer and what, what what's it going to look like two years later when they finally open their doors? What is the competition landscape going to look like? What are wholesale prices going to look like? How much uh, retail pricing pressure will there be? Um, so that's what we're trying to bring to Dispensary Defender as well. We're trying to uh, provide information that is useful and and um, forward-looking for them, so that they're not caught, um, you know, they're not caught outright with uh, relying on those poor projections that they've made in the past. Oh, makes makes total sense. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I would for one would love to see a dispensary uh, at least on like you know on a highway exit ramp. That'd be great. Uh, you, know, you could pull over, you get gas and uh, gas and some Cheetos and uh, you know and, and, and some soda and some some good weed. That'd be awesome. Um, so don't you know don't 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 rule out don't rule out the highways yet. Um, although haven't haven't seen that model work anywhere just yet. Um, but it's so coming. It's coming it's, for sure. Hopefully, it's got I me. Mean, you know, we 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 saw the announcement about uh, Circle K's, right? Uh, so who knows. That's right. Um, awesome. So uh, let's you know let's let's get back to the data or, or, or talk about the data points a little bit more. I mean, you're you've got some some pretty cool AI here, which is able to evaluate and analyze millions of data points. So, what are some of the interesting findings that you've come to discover when conducting your your analyses? Like, what are some 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 anything particularly interesting when it comes to consumer demand or changing demographics or anything that stood out to you that you you weren't expecting to find as you uh, as you as you analyze some of this data? Sure. I can speak to that. Um, so some things are unsurprising, right? Like when we look at what drives average ticket sizes. So unsurprisingly, we can affirm that, you know, it, average tickets uh, sizes increased with increased population density and decreased with the number of competitors within 10 miles. Um, but when we're looking at average monthly revenue for a location, um, the conventional wisdom is, you know, high traffic, close to major retailers, adequate parking, you know, median income levels, et cetera. And those things turn out to be important. But in some cases, what's surprising is that they're not as important as you think uh, to they're not. And then they don't end up being statistically significant. So um, some of the major drivers are the demand within 25 minute drive of location, 
uh, in many states, a distance to a state border, usually when they border a state that doesn't have legal uh, cannabis. And that average annual daily traffic, as Matt talked about, um, is important, but only up until a point. And then at that point, it actually becomes a negative influence on the, on the average monthly revenue. So as we, as we um, take in more information from our clients, we're constantly uh, validating our model against their uh, real-world data. You know, we purchase or uh, find available data uh, on the internet for um, store sales. We're, so we're constantly refining our model and validating it and um, learning these nuggets as we go along and perform these analysis and part of our um, consulting arm as well. What about what about you, Matt? I mean, anything that's really set up that you were like, "Whoa, that was that's that that's kind of surprising." You know, the one that jumped out to me um, early on um, was the the correlation with tourism. Um, so that's not one that immediately jumps out to folks, but in areas that have high degrees of tourism, um, you see uh, uh, good in indicators um, to what the ultimate market demand will be, um, and um, obviously better than than, than non tourist areas. And there's a number of factors that that play into that. Vacation mindset is part of it. It's obviously a place people want to go, so so there's more traffic and things of that nature. Um, but that was one of these as Steve talks about, there's a little sort of little nuggets that you pick up from every every project that they may not be counterintuitive, but it might not be the immediate thing um, that jumps to mind um, with all the other factors that are out there and all the other demands on folks, people, you know, people's times uh, as they're um, trying to grow their businesses. They may just have an immediate thought of, well, there's lots of people here. We can put it there. Um, and it's not quite that simple. It's where they are, but it's also where they're moving and what their purchasing habits are and so forth. So that, that was the one that from very early on kind of jumped out as, OK, that's really interesting. So you're saying people like to smoke weed on vacation? People like to smoke <laughs> weed on vacation. And people, even if they're not on vacation, like to be in vacation areas, and they like to smoke weed when they're in those areas. So, yeah, for sure. Or consume other cannabis products, right? Right, sure. Yep, yep. Breaking Excellent. news. You heard it here first. Right, yeah, it's shocking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right, well, let's, let's uh, I want to move on a little bit, uh, uh, Matt, you in particular have a, a background in, in politics and, and, and the, the sort of the political policy world. Um, this episode is being just so folks know this is being recorded about a week and a half before the midterm elections. Um, but you'll be listening to it after those elections. So not going to ask for any, uh, projections around the midterms that'll you know make us all sound dumb in two weeks from now but um but we can talk about the 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 impact of those of those elections and in particular um actually not even the impact of them but you know what's going to happen here before the end of the year um there's a lot of attention on bills that are being considered in congress uh the the safe banking act in particular or uh, you know, the, the sort of safe plus as we're now as we're now uh, looking at, uh, which could be safe banking plus some other uh, some other goodies. Um, so, you know, curious, like, what are you what are you following uh, at the federal level um, or what are you looking or what, or, or what are you following in terms of legislation in general? Right. Whether it's federal legislation, whether it's state ballot initiatives. Right. What what are you following and what do you think is going to have the most uh, the biggest impact on the industry and on Hedgerow in particular? It's a super dynamic time uh, right now uh, around cannabis, which is exciting. Um, I think the you know the the top level news heading into the election um, was Biden's announcement 
Um, and uh, I, I think that was a fairly significant movement for him. Here's somebody who came into office not too long ago and um, wouldn't uh, allow people with uh, who either dr drug tested poorly or had a past conviction or something um, where uh, kind of moved away from those folks um, uh, on, on his staff and on his team, right? And so um, to have him talk about descheduling and to move um, forward uh, with the pardons at the federal level is movement in the right direction, right? We live in a world where it's not this or that, it's, it's, it's good, better, best, right? So, th so that's a positive. Now, the timing on it is, of course, it's political, right? Um, you, that action released no one from jail. It was a, a good statement and you know, can drive uh, opportunity for advocates at the state level um, uh, to, to focus in that space. And the descheduling conversation, by all estimates, will, will take uh, quite a long period of time, but it's a good sort of you know, ball to get started. Um, I am pessimistic that something will happen in lame duck, um, for this reason, the polling overwhelmingly shows that, um, moving forward, certainly with a medical plan, um, but also a recreational plan is at least tolerated by an overwhelming majority of the public. And I think that's important in the polls to, to differentiate between, you know, enthusiastic support and, and tolerating it. Um, but those numbers are in the 70s, in some cases, 80% of people who are okay with it. They're fine with it. And so in an environment where first term, midterm, typically, um, and that's a very strong correlation historically, is not going to go well for the, the party in power in D.C. and particularly the president's. So it doesn't make sense to me that if it's achievable, they would wait until lame duck session. That just doesn't, it doesn't seem to sort of coincide with it. So that, so that part is a little bit curious, but not super, not super optimistic on it. Um, the ballot initiatives are an amazing story. Um, this is the most amount of activity uh, and the potential for the most amount of states to go uh, uh, moving, moving forward um, four red states and, and, and one blue state in Maryland. Um, in one time in multiple cycles. Um, and so the polls, as you see them now, um, seem to be on track for all five of them passing or having a good shot to pass. Um, and yeah, South Dakota is a little iffy. Uh, in the South Dakota right is now. a little yeah. iffy. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the polling numbers have been a little soft. There was a, there was a call for additional resources, um, from the majors within the industry. And, you know, that's, that is something that the industry over time will, uh, emerge into, um, uh, one that can look out for these types of things, but it looks like they were looking for a little more resources that they may not wind up getting. You had a dynamic this year where crime was a, uh, a topic of great salience to the voters. And I think that that uh, that could impact on some of these ballot initiatives in, in a negative way. I think a misunderstanding, a misconnection by the public of a legalization impact on crime, which statistics pretty clearly show is, is going is going to improve. Um, um, uh, so you so you may see some some backdrafts on that. And, and South Dakota might be one of those states. Arkansas might be the other one of those states um, where, where you see some of that. 
um, um, resistance to it, in part based on crime and in part, in part based on economics. Um, if you have industries in some of those states where, for whatever reason, you can't be doing your job while you're consuming a cannabis product um, and, and you need to be tested on that and, 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 and the um, procedures don't have accommodations for that at the local level. So, you, so you've got a couple economic issues and historic issues. But again, given the, the overall numbers, um, I would anticipate that most or, or all of those wind up passing. And so you're going to have a continuation. You saw it with Mississippi. Um, you'll see it in other red states. And you'll see over this upcoming um, uh, sessions, uh, as w- when they begin in January of next year, you'll see more red states taking a look at it. Um, and I think that's one of the missing pieces to the overall federal legalization puzzle is if one party could have solved it, in this case, it would have been the Democratic Party, it would be done by now. You have an all, you have a Democratic president, Democratic House, Democratic Senate. And so there were narrow margins there. Maybe if they had much larger margins, maybe they could figure it out. That's not typically how it works. If you can't get it done this close, it doesn't get that much easier. You're just adding more opinions um, to a complicated um, sort of opinion process. And so I think and I hope that as you see areas across the Southeast move into medical or move from their medical programs into recreational, they'll add different elements as each state has its own unique policy um, that will increase the likelihood of, of federal legalization. And I guess that's the last thing in terms of looking at what legislation is out there now and and what we're tracking um, is it is just a fascinating set of examples that you have out there. The differences between Oklahoma and New York and Florida and Washington and California, how they've all decided to do this. It's it's one of the genius elements of of, uh, our republic and our constitution that we have all these different samples going on. And I think it will be fascinating to see how the red states – some of the some of the purple states, um, how they move, how they entered the process, what they focus on, what they prioritize on, and then where the folks that are in the in between, the New Yorks, the Virginias, where they're trying to figure it out, um, and in the absence of rules, you have chaos. You have people just setting up shops and setting up farmers markets, sort of wherever you want, and that in between space is the one that's going to be the hardest on the the legal operators and the public. I think that's I think that's fair. Um, you know, be curious. Let's talk a little bit more about Biden's statement. You, you mentioned that and you're right, like nobody's actually getting released from federal prison because of it, which I think is a real shame. Um, but, you know, it was it's truly historic, right? The first time a president has made an, a statement like this, has taken some kind of action like this. I think the the call for. Um, a, a look at marijuana scheduling, like an actual scheduling review. Um, and you'll note he did not say in that announcement he wants to look at marijuana being rescheduled. He just said that marijuana is improperly scheduled and you need a review. So it sounds like descheduling is on the table, at least as a potential outcome um, here, as opposed to you know maybe being moved to you know two, three, four, wherever wherever it goes. We don't know what these departments are going to recommend, but I'm curious what 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 did what did you make of this announcement and like what effect do you think it's going to have on the industry and was there a missed opportunity here uh, as well well i definitely think there there was a missed opportunity um for for biden um but i'm also coming at it from a perspective where 
you know, I'd like to see it move forward um, legally. And I think that really hasn't been Biden's intent. And whether that's that's Biden, uh, President Biden, or whether that's Dr. Biden, whether that's his advisors, whoever it is that's that's around him, that's making those recommendations to him. Um, you know, there was an I mean, opportunity. He's never, he's never been a fan of this issue. Right. Let's be right. clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. He has. It. And so it's progress in that regard. And, and I think I think it's pro- positive progress. But again, the polling numbers being where they are, um, it, it, it seems like a missed opportunity um, to have tried to do more and to put that in front of the voters. You'll have ballot initiatives in front of the voters. But taking a bolder action um, would force a reaction from the electorate, which seems like it would be favorable to, to Biden and his party. Um, but but they didn't move forward with that. So, so there's that piece to it. I, I think it's a great statement that they're taking a look at it. I think it helped the industry. I think it helped some of the um, some of the numbers um, that folks are looking at in their for, portfolio. For a day or two, at least in the for stock portfolio. For a day portfolio. or two, right. But then reality, <laughs> but then reality hit of like, okay, what, what does this actually mean and how is it going to move forward? So um, I, I think it's, I think it's, it is good progress, but I mean, the, the one of the big phrases in, in government or anywhere in life, when you ask for somebody, you make your impassionate plea and their response is, we'll take a look at it. That's what he's doing. We're taking a look at it. He's going to have people take a look. He didn't say he's advocating for it. He didn't put any direction on it was we'll have some people take a look at it. And so it's kind of weak tea um, three weeks before the election cycle to be, you know, uh, ha- having that announcement. So it's something it's 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 movement. It's 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 progress in some key areas. But in terms of how is this really going to change things, I think it changes things only in that it's just it's another incremental step um, that's progress in, in the right direction. Um, but it's just not of a, enough of a lift to actually get to get things done or even really drive momentum around it within his administration, because in all likelihood, the composition of the federal government is it has changed at this point as, as folks are listening to it. Um, and so that just makes things in some ways more complicated to get to a resolution in an environment where um, everybody has their jerseys on and they don't want to give the other side a victory. And, um, you know, we're, we're sort, sort of at that fate state, that state in America where we've agreed to disagree on a lot of things and it bogs yeah, but, things down. But Biden, but Biden, I mean, at least the Biden administration, like they could reschedule or deschedule without Congress. Like they have the ability to do that. Now, they can't put any regulatory um, uh, framework around it. Right. They can't put it in a regulatory agency. They can't establish taxes, right? All the other things. But they, I mean, they could effectively force Congress's hand here, uh, right? By de- like by, by, you know, by, by descheduling and then saying, hey, Congress, now go regulate this thing, right? Other- otherwise, this is tomatoes, right? Do you think, I mean, do you think, do you think this administration has the, the, the stones to do something like that? I, that's exactly the reason I was going to say they don't. It, this just isn't an issue they want to champion. Um, it's not the main thing that they want to be talking about. Um, they don't want to put their allies in, in Congress in a position where they have to make a decision on it um, that may not be a great fit for them. So if you had somebody who was a great champion on the issue, um, you know, that might be you could see some executive actions that, tr- that try to move it forward. Um, but I don't I don't see anything in the past behavior that indicates that this is something Biden is going to look to to champion and do as an executive order. Um, and beyond that, because it's such a hot button issue um, and because there's so much conversation around it, I think there would be an institutional reaction to that, right? And 
presidents, legislatures, whoever the executive is, governor, what mayor, whatever it happens to be, their legislatures and then the courts jealously guard their turf. And so to have this major of a change in American policy come through executive action, um, I think Congress would want to have a say on it and will want to have a say on it before it was on their plate. Um, so I don't, I don't think it would be well received. Now, if at this point Republicans have taken the Senate as well, then you see a possibility where he could be putting something in front of them to force a Republican Senate and a Republican House to add. If the Senate goes, the House is going to go. Um, I, I'd be right. very surprised if you get one and not the other. Right. No, no, there's virtually no chance that the, right. uh, that Just they the, way the, the Senate would not the House. Yep, so, absolutely. Um, so you could see a scenario in that regard, but that gets us back into – gamesmanship. And gamesmanship is part of the process and people do it all the time, but it doesn't necessarily set you up for conducive conversations where you're looking to find a middle ground and move things forward, which incidentally, let's say something nice about <laughs> Joe Biden has really, that's one of the things he's historically been known for. Oh, that's Joe. We know Joe. Joe's been around for a long time. He can reach out and have allies on the other side of the aisle. He could bring people together in that regard. The system just is under tremendous pressure for people to kind of pull apart to the polar opposites. Yeah, I got to say, you know, it, it's it's pretty rare that uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm more optimistic than a, than, than a guest when it comes to uh, political uh, change on cannabis. I haven't done this for so long, but uh, you're, you're a little more pessimistic on this than I am. But, you know, we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens over the next uh, call it two plus years. And uh, we'll have to have you back on uh, at, the, at the end of it. And we'll we'll see. We'll see how this is all played out. Um, I hope but, you you're know, right. Let, at, I hope you're right at that point. But uh, we, we will yeah. see. And make no mistake, I'm not predicting that, you know, Biden's going to do something, you know, massively consequential here. Uh, I'm not I'm not crazy. Um, but uh, but, you know, you, you, there's there's a there's a path here. And I, I think the, the one thing for me that was the that, that was the that, that caused me the biggest amount of optimism was the fact that he made this announcement a few weeks before an election. Right. Like he is not somebody that's traditionally been friendly when it comes to cannabis policy. Um, I would say, you know, quite the opposite for almost his entire career. Um, and yet he clearly, and, and his political people around him clearly saw there being enough of a political benefit, right. Uh, to his party in the midterms to making this announcement this close to the midterms that, you know, it's that the political calculus has changed so dramatically from this being a third rail to this being something that's going to turn out voters and be a political positive, that there might be more incentive, right, for him to do something even bigger on this going into the 2024 presidential elections. And, um, and I'll, I'll let me support your argument. <laughs> and, and by the time we're listening to this, we're going to know how it wound up going. But there's a there seems to be a different feel around some of these conversations. Right. You've got you've got the pan canopy move. You've got some big moves that are going on uh, sort of in the background among the industry majors, um, the constellations and the altrias that generally don't guess wrong on a lot, on a lot of this stuff. So there's a lot of things, you know, from, from that perspective. What I think likely happened was the, the, the Democrats had a pretty good summer. They, they passed some things that um, were uh, promises that they made to the general public to, or to key elements of their constituency. Um, the Dobbs decision at the end of the, the spring was still playing out, the Kansas, Kansas ballot initiatives. And so the numbers were surprisingly good for Democrats in August and the beginning of September. 
But then political gravity kicked back in. And so by the time you got to the beginning of October, I think people went to Biden and said, you're in the low 40s. <laughs> you're, you're not an aide to us. Again, you know, no, not, nothing personal. This is like how it, this is how it works when you're the president and your numbers are there and there's inflation and everything else and said, you got to do something to help us. Do something um, that doesn't, uh, you know, sort of offend your historical position or delicate sensitivities on the issue of whatever happens to do. Like, give us something <laughs> that we can work with to sort of break the fall on it. Um, and that was that time. It was shortly after you had had um, the, 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 the story shift from Dobbs and the activity over the summer into um, the, 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 the migrant relocation activity. And, and so the, the, the conversation changed there, um, not in a favorable way within the electoral environment for Democrats. And I think that this was another thing to try and help um, a particular industry um, out where they, they had some historic support and to just change the conversation and change the support. But We'll, we'll, we'll know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it all, uh, how it all rolls out. Sure. Sure. But I mean, the, you know, the, the, the fact that, I mean, if that's all right, and, and that's a t- smart analysis, right? Um, the fact that it was cannabis, that was the thing that, uh, that, that, that folks were telling me needs to pivot to is still pretty, pretty incredible. Um, but you know, let, 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 let's shift here a little bit as, as we wind up and, and look a little bit to the future, not politics, but, um, so, you know, curious, and this is for both of you, like what, what new innovations, in the cannabis space, right outside of Dispensary Defender, obviously that's that's a pretty exciting one. Um, but what 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 innovations in the cannabis space currently excite you the most, right? And 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 what like what what coming down the pipeline here in cannabis um, are you, you know, most excited to see in the in the in the in the next few years? I'll just say real real quick, kind of a jumping off point from the political thing. I, I'm very excited to see how these different models play out. You know how. How are these innovative policies? We're native New Yorkers, Steve and I, and so we're watching um, New York as it figures out how to do something very unique, and very unique things are complicated. Um, uh, and there are some, you know, um, concerns, I guess, uh, or questions raised by by some of the majors about what are they going to be able to get into the state, and people are just sort of looking in other areas. So these innovations on the policy side within the states that have decided to go legal. Um, are going to have an impact on, on the industry as, as, as well, for sure. Um, and I think you're going to get some different ideas um, and some fresh ideas out of the states that passed it uh, on the ballot initiative side and as states increasingly enter into it. Um, and I think that's going to give you more factors to look at and say, this worked in the way we wanted to or this didn't work and enable to refine out those policies and, and, and put in, in place something that does all the things um, that states want them to do. Um, from the innovation side, Steve, we were just we were just talking about that uh, of some of the innovations that, that you've seen. Um, so I'll turn it over to you. I started on an environmental note, and I think I'll end on one too. Um, one of the the uh, most uh, exciting innovation or thing I'd like to see as the industry um, matures is to is a move to more environmentally friendly practices. Uh, um, it, for for uh, a movement that grew up hand in hand, sort of in the '60s and '70s, uh, you know, cannabis and and in the environmental movement, well, not you know, uh, uh, interlinked. It certainly came about around the same time. Um, you know, I'd like to see like 
green cannabis companies evolve, uh, more attention paid uh, to reducing water, electricity, emissions, et cetera. And uh, I think we'll see that as a lot of the legislation you talked about, um, you know, if there's favorable tax changes, uh, there'll be more incentive and more opportunities too as as the industry uh, matures. Uh, right now, it's sort of a, a race to claim territory and get branding out there. Um, but we see a lot of uh, um, space for you know a green green packaging and and uh, um, and, and things in that light. So that that's what excites me the most uh, about the future of the industry. Outside from you know us helping it grow. And, and one of the things, Steve, you actually sparked uh, me to remember on it that we were we were talking about is the testing that's going on on the medical side, um, and um, how that can bring a greater understanding of the the tremendous value, uh, medically or even socially, um, that are helpful to people in this plant. Um, I mean, for me personally, I thought the, the, the work that's being done in the terpene space helps me understand how a product is, is going to impact people uh, more so than some of the other information or, or lack of information there. And so I think we've got a lot of wonderful information that's, that's coming forward from the medical side that's going to bring a lot of relief to people who haven't found relief from anything else. Um, and I think they're also going to find some some ways that we can mitigate some potential problems. Whenever you've got a product that changes rapidly in a short period of time, there's some downside you have to mitigate against. And I think, um, you know, doing some of that testing, improving that on product quality and product impact um, will be a boon to, to individuals and to the industry. Excellent. All right. Well, before we, uh, before we sign off here, anything, uh, any, any, any parting words, uh, any, any words of wisdom or, Words of uh, shameless self-promotion, whatever you guys like. How do you want to finish this off here? <laughs> well, well, I, I want to start with sort of a, a traditional um, green rush <laughs> closing in terms of, you know, what, what is the headline you want? And, and, and also want to have a lot of shameless self-promotion at hedgerowanalysis.com. But in terms of, you know, what the more traditional angle, you know, what could we see um, if we woke up and, and, and looked at the headline tomorrow? Um, and what would it look like? For me, it would look like the federal government creates a very basic structure that takes care of banking and taxes, has zero taxes on the industry, zero, and and turns over the regulation of that to the states. I think the states have showed tremendous leadership on this, both in their decision to move forward and where people have said, you know what, we just want a little more information. We're not ready to make that decision yet. Um, let's let's hold off on that. And I think um, with that should come from the federal government and urging to the states of cut taxes, cut regulation, let this business be a business like others. That doesn't mean you don't have safety precautions. Of course you do. Um, but you let that local culture develop. And as a result, you'll have this tremendous rebirth in American farming that we've seen as they've moved over to a new product. You've got a decrease in, in cross-border traffic that doesn't just uh, cross-border internationally that doesn't just bring in cannabis from outside the country. It brings in unknown cannabis products that can be mixed with other things that domestic producers and reputable entities are are not doing. So that would that would be my hope for it is that um, there's less tax, there's less regulations, and you let people closest to it uh, make their own decisions. And some of those people are going to decide they don't want it in their county, and that's fine. Um, people will drive to other areas and, and pay the taxes and absorb it there. But for folks who would prefer to have those tax dollars going to a legal structure, they're out there. They're out there in all 50 states right now. And so capture the revenue, do good 
things with it and make sure that that revenue is not so much that you're 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 constraining people's ability to compete because you have wonderful entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who want to help their local community in this industry and they just need to go ahead from dc dc doesn't need to be involved they're not really great at getting involved in these types of things let the states and the localities make the decisions on it in terms of shameless self-promotion we're here to save people time save you money and when it comes to real estate it's all about location 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 you want to talk about the best store location in the country look at collinsville illinois from ascend wellness holdings brilliant location at the edge of a massive cannabis desert and they have received all the laurels that they that they deserve um, for that smart move we want to bring that type of technology that type of ease of use and that competitive advantage to the industry so it can move to sophistication more quickly and move to maturity more quickly and and be the kind of industry that everybody wants and hopes that it can be Awesome. All right. I think that's a, that is a wonderful place to, uh, to leave this here. Matthew Walter and Steve Below, thank you so much for joining us on The Green Rush. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. Thanks. Be with you. Thanks again to Matthew Walter and Steve Below of Hedgerow Analysis for joining us today. To follow their company and learn more about their services and Dispensary Defender, check them out at hedgerowanalysis.com. As always, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with Chris and Lewis or myself, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your guest ideas, topics you want us to hit on, especially as we're planning out for 2023. And don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take. <laughs>